from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to the GoodAtheist.net podcast. My name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Krista Hendricks. Welcome to episode 119 after, oh, I don't know, how many days was I not recording podcasts? It's been a while, right? It's been like maybe two weeks or something crazy. It's since, since Christmas, essentially. That's more than two weeks. You know, you know how long it's been? I haven't recorded a podcast since last year, technically speaking. Oh, my God. You know, you know what? I, it's been so long since I've done the show that that joke... Everyone's tired of the I haven't seen you since last year jokes that I'm sure everyone's like, ha ha ha, that was funny, like maybe the first 10 times. No, I think you get tired of that joke when your dad keeps doing it when you're 12. I think there exists no grown people who are not tired of that joke. I don't want to live in a world where we can't at least laugh at that joke. Or we can say, I haven't seen you since last year. Or I haven't done this since this last year. This is what this is. This is my issue with that particular joke. It makes me feel like... Uh, as a collective of the human race, we're all way too freaking lazy to come up with anything new. Okay, now before we start the show, um, there's a couple of things that I want to answer first. These are This is a mailbag show, but there's a couple questions that are not really mailbaggy material, uh, but I will answer them. The first one is, where's the show? And that's easily <laughs> answered by saying, it's here, right? It's right here. So the reason that the show was delayed, the reason why it's the 10th before I recorded anything... Uh, is first of all, well, I've been traveling. I think many of you, but not all, are aware that I am now a, what what do they call it, jet setter? Is that that what it's called now? And you just, you you don't actually live anywhere. You're just a fucking vagabond. I think it's called homeless. Okay, I'm homeless. (laughs) And is, uh, I don't know if our technology is going to be good enough to hide this, but we're in a very echoey place. Uh, in, I think I can fix it. Yeah, well, apparently we can. Don't even mention it. No, I'm, I'm going to, because we may not be able to get rid of all of it. Uh, and, uh, yes, it's it's actually kind of causing me to second-guess myself, because I hear myself now, and I'm like, I don't like it. <laughs> You're very loud. Your voice really fills this room. We're in a yeah. room that is... Uh, that is all stone. Very square. And very square. Very yeah, modern. That's the marble. problem. That's the problem with modern, eh? Everything's so fucking square. You can fill your house up with things, and it still feels echoey and lonely. I'll say this for Victorian furniture. Didn't make your house echoey. It was perhaps gaudy, but goddammit did it absorb sound. You didn't even need any of those eggshell things if you were in a Victorian room. Sound would just disappear. I've already done my part, though. I mean, look, there's sticky notes on the wall yeah. by the desk. That's a, that, that must be absorbing a lot That's... of sound. <laughs> uh, a couple mirrors. Do you remember my apartment where it was just like a wall full of stuff? Just wall. The walls were just plastered in in uh, memorabilia and. Uh, souvenirs and papers and sticky notes and things i'll have it to that point probably by next week so oh great well you know i've never actually been anywhere where there's been any memorabilia on the wall uh any of my close friends will tell you that i i'm i have moved so often in my life that i just always i never decided to put anything up on walls it always felt maybe too permanent And uh, although it did creep girls out whenever they went into my room because there's nothing on the walls and they assume, (laughs) of course, he's a psycho killer because he just doesn't have a personality. I think people think that the shit on your walls has something to do with you. 
Jacob, I'm I'm gonna be honest. Nobody believes you got girls in your room. Oh, oh. snap! Blam. Uh, now the other uh, question is whether or not this new lifestyle of mine is going to affect the show. And the quick answer is no. The long answer is it's going to affect how long it takes me to put it together. But as far as you guys are going to be concerned, you won't even be able to tell the difference. So it doesn't really change. It's just that I'm literally trying to be an adult now, and I don't want to live with Ryan anymore because that, that was just getting a little bit creepy. You know, when everybody at the grocery store thought we were a married couple, and of course they should because we acted very much like a normal uh, married couple. Oh, yes. They were very supportive there, though. Never got called any names, you know? <laughs> and, and and I want to thank that grocery store in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, for being so open-minded. I think they were just so confused. They're like, who's the bottom? I don't know which... Why do people really concern themselves with that question, huh? I think, I think that's feel, rude. No, because people feel more comfortable when you can put individuals into roles, right? And so right. they think, oh, they're gay, and then they need to think, oh, and we understand how that relationship works. But, you know, I mean, when you see uh, any kind of relationship and you can't really figure out the dynamic, we're a little put off. It doesn't, it doesn't matter that it's a homosexual relationship. It just matters that that's how we are. We want to put people in boxes. Well, maybe I'm just kind of one of those guys who doesn't ask himself that question. But you know what? I was reminded by a gay friend of mine saying that that was still a rude question. If we can move beyond the question of asking who's bottom, because it's like seeing a heterosexual couple and saying, do you guys fuck each other in the ass? Huh? <laughs> Is there any ass fucking happening? And uh, that's a rude question. You know what? I'm an entertainer. Uh, that question comes up daily in my group <laughs> of friends. So Entertainers are bad people then. We That's are. a really rude question. We were, you know, what's interesting is that, um, like, the whole reason why people that that association between actors and entertainers as being devious, it's because of the connection with Dionysus way back when. Oh and yeah. And we've actually dragged that whole reputation with us. It's almost an expectation that's set up because when you get into the entertainment industry, everybody goes, oh, you know, they better just, party. Yeah, they're partiers. They do drugs and fuck around, and then you're like, well, I guess I have to now. Well, it's expected it's behavior. Expected. <laughs> there's there's a term for that actually. It's called the Pygmalion effect. It's where uh, you react or act a certain way according to how you're treated. So if you got a kid in a classroom and you uh, and and you tell the teacher this kid is a genius, he's going to treat the kid like a genius, and odds are he's going to perform better. But if you tell him this kid's a fucking idiot, <laughs> teacher's going to treat the kid like an idiot, and sure enough, he's going to act somewhat like it. Now it's not to say that obviously the only way that you are is uh, you know is entirely dependent on how other people treat you. But think about it. This. How many people who are listening to this right now are grown adults, but every time they go home to their fucking parents, they feel like they're 14 again. And they, they have these weird habits that they've let go of, but they come back. They come back to haunt you as soon as you're around your parents because your parents treat you like you're a child because that's all they know how to treat you like. Even, even the great parents. Even the great parents that treat you like adults eventually, once in a while, when you get it to that part where they're just annoyed with you, it'll come out. <laughs> It'll fucking come out. I remember there's this one time. It was me and my two sisters. We were at my mom's, and we're sleeping in a room, and we hadn't seen each other in a long time. And, of course, we're chatting, and we're laughing, and we're giggling. And my mom bursts the door open and being like, <laughs> shut up, I'm trying to sleep. And we're all like, <laughs> like, I couldn't even believe it. We were all adults, but we were acting like we were 12-year-olds. So that's the Pygmalion effect. Okay. You know, I met your one sister, and I don't believe for a second she's ever giggled about anything. Oh, she's got a great sense of humor. You no, she does. Know. She does. She's just not very... She's dour. She's not... Okay, I believe that she has a great sense of humor. She'd yeah. make a fantastic comedian. She's very funny. But I don't see her as a giggler. That's all. That's all. 
You know, I think she'd be like, if she laughs, it's a laugh. It's very deliberate. The whole room no. should know. No, no. You know what? It, that's just her trying to be kind of cock of the walk. My oh. whole family, if you, if you, if any of you listeners ever met my whole family, you would just say, oh, you're all the same. You're all cocky pieces of shit. <laughs> We're all trying to dominate conversations and be the center of attention. Yeah, that's essentially like our Christmases are exhausting because everybody is trying to vie for attention. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a hard environment to grow, grow in. But you know what? It, it ends up that you are almost a natural performer when you go to, uh, you know, when you live with my family. All right, let's get, let's get on to the questions. <laughs> I decided... You saw my facial expression. Uh, we should answer some let's questions. Answer, let's answer some questions before everybody gets bored and say, hey, is this the Jacob show or is this some fucking show about atheism? Well, we're going to try to answer some questions related to atheism. Unfortunately, some of the questions are about me. So if you don't like me... <laughs> You can unfortunately have to put up with personal questions. But let's start with the first one, which is not personal at all. Presently, uh, this is from Brennan. Per, uh, presently, as an atheist, the venues I subject myself to, aside from your podcast, are often restricted to the public forum YouTube. I am often an audience of Thunderfoot, the amazing atheist, uh, Zom, I don't know how to pronounce it, Zom gets Chris, and Paul's ego, all of which convey entertaining and thought-provoking videos. However, I would like further, uh, to further my horizons in atheist literature, Aside from Richard Dawkins' God Delusion, what would you recommend an atheist to read? This is going to be a really long answer. Oh, it's going to be a long answer. Okay, well, it really depends, all right? Let me put this in a couple categories. If you are like me and you like stuff that's really sardonic, sarcastic, witty, but cruel, uh, my recommendation is obviously God is Not Great by Christopher Hitchens, How Religion Poisons Everything. That is probably the one that's the most tranchant. You know what I mean? Like, you just read that and you're like, fuck, what an indictment. It is, it, it's, it's classic Hitchens. I'm sure you've seen his videos. I'm sure you've, watched, you, 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 you know, you've listened to his debates. And his book is a must-read. I actually really love the audiobook because he reads it. And that's fucking awesome. So uh, that's, that's, that's my first recommendation. I actually have another, a second recommendation. This one's not really well-known. Uh, it's uh, The Little Book of Atheist Spirituality. And the reason I kind of like that book is because it's, it's kind of like more philosophy-driven. Now, I'm, I'm not the type of person who thinks that philosophy is the best way to, to debate against religion because, uh, you know, philosophy is philosophy. It, 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 just because somebody just said something clever doesn't mean that it's true. But it, one of the things, one of the arguments of the book that I found fascinating, and I'm not doing it justice, is that he just talks about how, um, you know, he used to be a, a Christian and then when he basically abandoned his religion, he didn't lose any of the elements that had been part of the culture. He was just, he calls himself kind of like a, a, a secular Christian. And I think that that's actually kind of, for most people who are out there who are influenced by Christianity, who are part of that whole culture, and, who don't, and they don't necessarily want to lose that, they do this, you know, you can do the same thing that, say, secular Jews do, where you're, you don't lose parts of the culture that you, can, that you still like, that you still enjoy, you know? Maybe some people would really like Mass, you know, maybe they just enjoy the smells, the sounds. I think churches stink, but, you know, maybe for some people it kind of reminds them of something else. I think that book is perfect for someone who's just on the edge of, of kind of abandoning their belief, but want to, want to have arguments that, uh, that haven't been said before. And this guy, he's a French guy. This is a translation. I don't remember what the, the name of the French book is. Um, and the French have a long history of atheism, so they have a very, <laughs> they have an interesting way to go about it. And, and, uh. And that's one of my recommendations. What's your favorite atheist book? Um, 
it's hard because for me, what I kind of felt like when I started reading a lot of atheist books was it was a lot of the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So my two recommendations would be the two books I found the most different, just because that's what I'm really interested in right now, is what's different. I mean, I love Dawkins and I loved uh, The God Delusion, but you know, then I went back and I read some of his other books and they're all the same. <laughs> I, I mean, I know that's horrible to say. I'm, I'm going to get so much hate from that, but there, there's a lot of similar points in all the books that you're not really running in, into anything too new. So the two books I would recommend would be uh, Under the Banner of Heaven. Is that correct? The LDS? That's right. That's right. That's John Kurkowski, I think, or Krakow. Krakow. I can't pronounce his name. If, um, the one recommendation I would make for that book is don't read it anywhere in public because you'll cry. So I had recommended that book to you, and you were just like, I hate you because I've been crying. But it's it, he's such a Terrifying. great writer. And, uh, and, and it really kind of gives you an insight into the Mormon religion, which is sometimes some of the atheist books just focus too broadly on all the religions. And I think that there's lots of people out there. I mean, uh, it, pick a book that will really tear to shreds beliefs that you used to have. Or, or maybe there are people around you that are just nothing but Mormons or lots of Jehovah Witnesses or lots of Christians or lots of Muslims. There exists books that are tailor-made for uh, you know arguments and stuff like that, and I know there are plenty of people who listen to the show and listen to uh, lots of other shows, and what they want is they want arguments. They mm-hmm. they want to be able to defend themselves against uh, you know the, the 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 Christians or other religious people who are just lambasting them all the time, saying like why don't you believe in this and blah blah. And meanwhile you're just like dude, I mean I don't even fucking believe. I don't, I can't tell you why, but I just never bought into this bullshit. I mean there's mm-hmm. plenty of fucking people like that, but truth be told, that's not good enough. If that's all you think, then you are going to have a miserable time talking to anybody who's religious because they're going to pick up on the fact that you don't quite know why you don't believe and you are going to be so hassled. So, yeah, I mean, move beyond the videos, read some books. Uh, there's The other one that I really like, uh, The End of Faith, except for maybe the last two chapters because I talked about how that was one of my favorite books, but I have a bit of a confession to make. <laughs> the reason I like it so much is that the end of faith is the reason why I decided to get into atheism to uh, try to write love. my book. My first love. I understand that. And uh, and the thing is, when I read Sam Harris, Sam Harris is a, is just I find he's a phenomenal debater. You listen to Sam, and even though you might disagree with him on something, you're just kind of like, wow, your arguments were compelling, and you just seemed so. I, I don't know. But sometimes when you listen to Richard Dawkins, you can find him snooty. Maybe that's the British thing. If you listen to Hitchens, you just find that he's acerbic. And trust me, there's lots of people who be like, I hate that fucker. He <laughs> misrepresents us. And I'm like, well, I don't think you get it. There's lots of different flavors out there. So there's going to be an author that sort of like hits close to home. There's a bunch of new atheist books that I wanted to read, including Dan Barker's book called The Good Atheist, <laughs> which I want to sort of read. Uh, just to know if uh, maybe I should even write, bother writing my book. So, yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch on the list. I, I wanted to eventually on the site, and, and you guys can let me know by commenting on the podcast if you think that I should include a review section for books where I can include like a couple paragraphs of my thoughts on a book, the things that I may uh, agree with or disagree with. So that's something that I'm going to put out there for you guys if you want to hear it. Um, the last book I would recommend, I mean, we've talked a lot about books that are like, rah, rah, atheism, grar, and, uh, I spent the last couple years, you know, getting to the point where, you know, I think the thought that came to mind the most when I was talking to someone religious or trying to debate was, oh my god, how do I even bring myself to respect you? 
And um, I think the the book that pulled me out of that that I would recommend for everybody would be Year of Living Biblically by A.J. Jacobs. Oh, you just love him. Well, I just love him. But also, I mean, I love him because of that book. It gave me so much perspective. Because here's the, here's the thing. There's, they did this research survey, which we can link to. I'll find it for you. Where they put a whole bunch of conservatives in a room with other conservatives, and they put a whole or a bunch of moderate conservatives, sorry, in a room with other moderate conservatives, and they put a bunch of moderate liberals in a room with moderate liberals, and they had them talk for like an hour or two hours or something, and they all came out much more intensely believing in what they went in believing. Right, they they became more fundamentalist. Absolutely. So I think you know you need to take some medicine as atheists if you're going to be reading a lot of this stuff. A little bit of of moderation, a little bit of calming yourself down, because it's there's a bit of a danger in seeing religious people as other. You know, they're not like us. They are the other, and we're all people, and you do need to still respect people. So I thought Year of Living Biblically was a really good way of. You know, I'm still just as mad, but I'm no longer a bitch. <laughs> I think there there isn't there is another book that I might recommend. This is actually not a book about atheism. It's Karen Armstrong's. Um, what is this? Uh, it's it's the history of God. I think. Oh yes. Now the reason why I think it's important is is there, there's this great saying that says if you want to be able to debate with someone, you you should firstly you should first know how to defend their arguments. Like you should know. You should be able to actually make their arguments for them, and if you can do that, then you already you're you're ahead of the game. You know what they're going to say. So I think it's kind of it's interesting to read the apologetic stuff. I for one have just uh, I'm in the process very soon of reading of finishing to read um, um, C.S. Lewis's uh, Mere Christianity because I really want to delve deeply into that because every moderate Christian will break out C.S. Lewis and saying, like, listen to this guy. He was he was a great intellectual. He defended Christianity. And you know what? I can't talk shit about it because I don't know enough about it. So that's my goal. And, and don't just don't just rely on all the atheist books. There's uh, you, you need to know the other side of the argument. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Max uh, asks, what are the leading special interest groups slash non-governmental organizations promoting secular governance in the United States, Canada, and worldwide? Okay. James Randi Foundation. <laughs> the James Randi Foundation, yeah. Well, they, 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 they're pretty much more towards skepticism and uh, debunking uh, pseudoscience oh, and that such, kind of stuff. I really believe that's the most important part of, what, of what's going on. I but mean, it's not, not I'm, secular governance, though. I mean, he's asking yeah, okay. particularly about secular governance. I would say um, probably the ones that I like the most, just because I, they, they seem to be able to branch out more quickly, is the Center for Inquiry. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been popping up in Canada in, in a bunch of cities, but it's still relatively small. Like, for instance, the CFI in Montreal, we've been talking with them, and, uh, and even Ryan w- w- went over to a, an event and did a de-baptism with them. Ooh. So the cool thing about uh, this organization is it's really, it really is grassroots. They're looking for memberships. The memberships really aren't that expensive. I think they're actually the less expensive than our hardcore memberships. <laughs> <laughs> so it's completely worth it. And, and what they try to do is, is you know, not only are they uh, responsible for some of the ads that we've seen in, on, uh, in buses in, in Canada and the U.S., um, but they're, they're, they also try to fight legislation against, you know, blasphemy and those kinds of things. So they're really, uh, they're really interested in, in that whole separation of, 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 of government and, uh, you know, uh, and religion. There's a, there's a, there's a couple other people. There's the Free Thought Association of Canada. 
There's the Humanist Association of Canada. Now, here's the thing, though, that I found out when I did the podcast, live podcast, in, um, in Montreal a couple months ago. I learned that even secular organizations have petty fucking differences and squabbles. Like, I remember there was, like, one group was totally fighting with, like, I think it was the was it, CFI was fighting with the humanist groups and something like that because... Obviously, you're going to have some kind of differences about how you're supposed to do things, how you're supposed to use the money that you get. And the truth of the matter is we don't get a lot of money. So everybody's sort of fighting over how the money should be spent. Some people are like, the, we should spend them on ads. Other people are like, ads don't do shit. Let's spend it on something else. Let's spend it on trying to, do, do, to advertise and try to grow memberships. So the problem is that we have uh, still squabbles because we're human. You know, just because we don't believe in some dogma doesn't mean we don't suffer from the same problems that other organizations have. Well, and I mean, you couldn't possibly have a, a group that's harder to choose um, what to do with money than atheist groups. Because it's really like, we don't believe in anything. What should we do with this money? Fucking, I don't know. Let's find other people that don't believe in yeah, the same things I mean, we don't believe in. It's it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of cause for debate. I totally understand that. I, well, the one thing I was going to mention is, do you know who's running the um, CFI in uh, Alberta now? Oh, it's uh, Nate, Nate Phelps. Phelps. That's right. Isn't Nate that crazy? Phelps. That is pretty damn cool. But he's, yeah. uh, okay, so anybody that doesn't know the Phelps, that's the Westboro Baptist Church. They're the crazy family who go around and they picket uh, funerals. In fact, they released a statement the other day uh, because there was a, a U.S. senator that got uh, shot in the head, and uh, and there was a little nine-year-old girl that died. And they released a press uh, release saying, like, "Thank God, the you know God sent this shooter to do this because oh. America has sinned." And you know, every time you read that, and and trust me, this is the number one story in the news right now. Everybody's just talking about it. Fucking Fox News, CNN, whatever. Ticker tape, fucking twenty-four-seven. Here's the news story about this woman getting shot. Because, you know, the 24-hour news cycle, right? They can't fucking get over themselves. But regardless, this is the Westboro Baptist Church. They will chill you to the bone with their disgusting view of the world. But luckily, not all of the Phelps have been, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Have fallen, into the, <laughs> fallen into the vortex of evil that is the, uh, you know, head Phelps. That is this weird patriarch. You know, you kind of wonder what will happen when uh, it's like Fred, right? That's his name. Mm -hmm. When Fred Phelps dies, I mean, I know his daughter is pretty hardcore, but I don't oh, yeah. think she'll she has. Just, no, she'll just take over. She's I really don't crazy. Think she, I don't think she has it. Like the Fred Phelps has a hypnotic uh, control over his uh, over his his flock, over his fucking children and grandchildren. I mean, you heard Nate Phelps, like you, you recorded the video uh, that he was talking about the, the systematic abuse. I don't even think she's Ugh. capable of that degree of abuse. Yeah, really, but here's seriously. the thing. He laid the foundation. He had to be that intense to, to get to the point where it is now. All she has to do is be angry and loud. And she's really good at that. And so. point towards what grandpa said. Exactly. Well, grandpa said this. He did a good job of making himself a, an icon for the faith, for whatever it is they believe in. And, and, uh, but did he, I mean, really the church is made up entirely of his own family members. Wow. How, su how successful is it? There's, there might be like two or three people that aren't that married into it because they were also quite crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I mean, it's it's not about the the physical side; it's about the attention and the uh, the controversy that they drive. Well, they get they get plenty of attention. You know what? We need that as atheists. We need like one crazy family of atheists that's like burning down. I don't. Okay, wait. I shouldn't mm, say that. Take it back. I take it back. I just think it would be good publicity. <laughs> no. It'd make the rest no. of us look good. Then you no. could say whatever you wanted. You don't get it. As soon as one of us fucks up, 
it's over. Like really? we're just basically going to be lambasted. I mean, the one thing that oh, I was I worried was that the shooter, the, sh- the the guy who shot that 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 uh, I don't know if it's Sarah or Congressman, or I don't give a shit. But he was anti-religious. He didn't. Uh, but he was also kind of like a crazy conspiracy theorist. Still, I don't know what angle everybody is going to try to uh, to, to to spin on the whole thing. But uh, yeah, I guess I yeah. guess that's very true. There's not enough of us that we can get away with no having any crazies. Okay, so listen up, people. Nobody's allowed to do anything crazy. Yeah, first person that does anything crazy, if you're you, out of the club. If you feel so much as a little under the weather, go see a therapist. Okay, it matters for everybody. Well, you should. You should anyways. Uh, his second question was, you could, would you consider uh, encouraging your listeners to organize around this issue? I think this is the most direct way we can counter religious interest groups. Uh, I agree. I've actually told, you know, I say this to people. I'm like, if you don't donate or, or buy my podcasts, buy my podcast, uh, you should literally all get involved. Like, atheist groups need more money, okay? Um, atheist groups need more participation. If you can't give them money, give them your time. Do whatever you can to get involved because trust me, this is just, we're just getting started, okay? This is, it's not going to be over. It's not like you can say like, oh, tomorrow we're going to wake up and everybody's going to believe in something rational. No, no. I mean, it's a constant fight. I mean, think about the way that your brain operates, okay? Think about that. It's not a rational engine. It's not a machine that is prone to say, to look at the world and say, well, I think I'm going to think about things for a little while and try to come to rational conclusions about how things work. No, you're just, you make snap decisions all the time that are completely wrong. You have insane superstitions that don't make any sense that you have to fucking work your way out of. You have odd neuroses that are just embedded in you and you can't even get rid of them. And I know everyone who's listened to this podcast has a few. <laughs> so the fight is never over. I mean, not only are you fighting against religious people, you're fighting against the irrationality of mankind. So, yeah, I would encourage everybody to get involved. I also encourage people to buy my podcast, to listen to bonus shows. Yay! No? No, that's good. No, no, no. It's good. It's, yeah. uh, you're being honest. Okay. Men's... It's not like they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Some people might not know. It might be the first show they listen to. Okay, right. Brandon, who also known as Men's Battle Plan, asked... What type of proof would you need to believe in God? For example, what if Jesus came back today, raised some people from the dead, healed the blind, etc., and this could be verified by multiple scientists and even verified by you? Uh, would that do it? Now, I just before I, before I answer that question, I want to tell you this, that scientists are not always <laughs> the best people to be able to uh, examine evidence. And uh, just ask James Randi about that, where they get fooled by Yuri Geller and a shitty fucking magnet trick under his nail to move a compass. And they're like, wow, we've just discovered proof of uh, psychic powers. No, scientists are just like you and me. They can be idiots. That's the first thing I want to say. Well, and I, I'm just going to say right now, I'm, I'm a full-time professional magician and sideshow performer. I do things that you would believe with every ounce of your soul are real every day on stage. That's my whole job is to make you believe that something I'm doing that's fake is is real. So, I mean, here's the thing. Even if you see it with your own eyes, that's not proof. Even if it's backed up by some quote-unquote scientists, um, <laughs> that's not necessarily proof. That's not a good proof. No. Uh, proof would have to be, you know... It's been banged, you know, something happened, and that theory has been being tried, like, people have been trying to disprove it, and it's gotten to the point where it's damn near undisprovable. But the real, the reality is, I'd be willing to, to, to be open to the idea, but there's just, there's no way to prove 
There's no way to prove it. <laughs> well, you got you got a couple problems. Number one, okay, the example that uh, men's battle plan uses, and 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 Brandon's probably one of the few religious people who actually listens to the show and comments on, and he's quite active. We used to have another one. His name was Ben. But I think he just gave up on me, and Ben's not around anymore, so it's just Brandon now. I'm proud of Brandon. Yeah, he, he, he puts himself out there. And here's, what I would, here's, what I, here's the first problem. All right? In your example, you say, let's say Jesus came back, and he was starting to perform some miracles. Okay, my first problem here is, is your God a parlor magician? Like, oh, he's healing some blind and some sick. This is what gods do? Gods who create massive universes with hundreds of billions of galaxies, themselves with hundreds of billions of stars, and who knows how many fucking planets and unbelievable things we've never discovered. But he's going to come to the backwaters of a meaningless, tiny galaxy and on some fucking buttfuck-nowhere part of it, and he's just suddenly going to start healing the blind, and I should say, well, he's obviously a god. Look, if an alien came down, all right, did something to his uh, you know, body so that he looked like a human, and he had sufficiently advanced technology, and he was trying to raise the dead, and you could go to a morgue and suddenly raise someone, because as far as we know, death is not one of those on and off things, right? You're not just alive and then you're dead. Death is a process, okay? We bring back people from the dead all the time, at least the way that we define death. So it's not like all of a sudden we're like, hey, these doctors are performing miracles, they're gods. Whoa, whoa, let's... I, I think that uh, P.C. Myers had an interesting uh, analogy. He said that there would be no proof necessary to, for him to believe in God. Even if there was a 900-foot-tall Jesus that had laser beams coming out of his fucking eyes, he would say, that's impressive, but that's still not proof of a God. It's just proof of a more powerful being. With laser eyes. With lasers. That's impressive. It, it is impressive. So... My, my first thing, my, my first answer to you would be like, okay, can you give me a definition of God that A, is at least satisfactory? Because your Jesus fellow does not meet the qualifications of a God. He meets the qualifications of a God for people who existed thousands of years ago when they thought they were the only fucking planet in the whole system, in the whole fucking universe. They just thought that they were the center of everything. And they didn't even know how far this or how big this world was. They were just kind of concentrated right into a tiny little area in Palestine, very impressed with themselves. And they have some dude, some supposed dude, who's able to do some slightly interesting things like walk on water and uh, essentially heal a couple blind folks. And now everyone's like, oh, he's clearly a god. I mean, in light of how of the way that we used to describe God, say, in ancient, uh, you know, in myths that are, you know, Egyptian myths and, and Sumerian myths, the gods of that time are, are equally unimpressive. Okay. They don't do much. Okay, but let me stand up for Brandon. Is Brandon right? Let yes. me stand up for Brandon for a second. You do it. You're sort of tiptoeing around this question. You're saying, you're saying what he's offering up right. is not adequate. Fine, but that's not necessarily what he's asking. He's saying, what would it take? So how, Jacob, talking yes. as Brandon... Yes. What would it take to prove omnipotence? How how do you prove omnipotence? Well, the problem is is there really is no adequate test. You know, I don't want to I don't want to keep sidestepping around the issue here. But when we when we make a definition of God, or when people try to define God, you know, you always find yourself in that situation where definitions keep shifting around. You ever debate with someone about God, and they kind of they keep saying like, oh well, he's beyond time. When you're saying like, uh, or he's beyond space, or he can't be perceived. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, 
then he's nothing interesting to, to, to discuss. There's, there's no way that I can prove or disprove this amorphous concept you've come up with. And my problem is, first of all, with the amorphous concept. Now, if you want to give me the reason I kind of liked this example of Jesus was because it was at least tangible. He was like, here's Jesus. He comes down. He does a few miracles. And people attest to the fact they're miracles somehow or for whatever fucking reason. But again, I'm like, this is not enough in terms of how we, would, how we should come to understand a God. If we really, now that we have a better understanding of the universe than we did 2,000 years ago, and we just have an idea of scale... Uh, I think it changes the scale of what God is supposed to be like or is able to do. And it's more than just healing people, walking on water, or changing two pieces of fish into 5,000 pieces no of problem, fish. No problem. No problem. Totally agree. So then where's the line? Where's the line as to the point where you'd be like, okay, that's proof of omnipotence? Well, I don't, I don't think I'd, I'd, I'd be anywhere. Like, I don't think there would be a satisfactory 100% proof. But like you said before, I would be open to it if, say, a couple things happened. Uh, and I don't want to say something like simple, like, oh, if somebody's uh, regrew an arm after it had been severed. Because, you know, there's always that why won't God heal amputees kind of thing if uh-huh. prayer has power. But what about if we could try to prove some supernatural phenomenon, right? It doesn't have to be all of it. Let's take prayer as a common example. What if really prayer did have some kind of uh, power? What if people who prayed could stop uh, levees from 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 uh, overturning, or who could uh, all of a sudden, you know, pray and you levitate someone. Just some display of power, at least. So we could say there is something beyond this material world that is manifesting itself. That would be, at least for me, the first inclining of something. But again, the problem is, if it's beyond nature, and it's either difficult or impossible to measure, and it doesn't obey any known laws... Now you have another problem is saying, like, how are we supposed to describe this into a model? So really, the, the, when in science, what we do is we come up with models, a hypothesis of, uh, to describe some phenomenon, and then we use experimentation to find out if uh, our model is accurate, right? But they're just models. They don't necessarily explain everything. It's not like uh, our, our current model of the universe, it, it doesn't explain everything. There's no unit, we don't have a uni- unified theory, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. There are lots of ga- gaps, but the models that we have are extremely good at predicting something. The problem with a supernatural entity is how are we supposed to create a model? And even if you do create a model, let's take the model of God as he exists now, right? He's omnipotent, apparently. He's omnibenevolent. <laughs> he's omniscient. Now, these are qualities that we could actually say, number one, they, they contradict with one another. Uh, because if he's omniscient and omnipotent, he already knows what he's going to do. So then uh, he's not quite as all-powerful because he already has awareness of what he has or will do. So now he's not – you can't be those two qualities. They actually kind of contradict with one another. I know it's a weird logical contradiction. Of course, you would say, isn't that just a ga- word game? And yes, of course it is. <laughs> uh, so is uh, the word omni, uh, omnipotent and omnipresent. These are word games. They don't mean anything. Uh, and if he's omnibenevolent, which means that he's all-loving, I mean, just look around. Okay, you can obviously tell that that's not true. Uh, there's plenty of suffering that happens, blah, blah. And I know lots of people say, oh, there's suffering because human, human beings are given free will and blah, blah. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Did a free will cause the volcano to explode and obliterate uh, an entire village under smoky ash and fucking lava? No, it wasn't. No, there was no free will. It was just the random fucking acts of nature, physics interacting with, with itself. A, uh, an all-loving God would not create a system in which you would feel a tremendous amount of pain your entire life, uh, only to die in more pain. <laughs> and here's the other thing. I think, at least personally, as an atheist, I'm kind of used to the idea that 
you know, I believe that there is no God. I believe that there's no higher power or anything supernatural, and I live my life accordingly. But I am still open to the idea that there could be something. Whereas if you're religious, you have to be 100% faithful to that idea. So even if there was 100% proof, just the way my brain works now, I could still never totally 100% believe because there's always doubt. There's even doubt in my atheism. That's just what being a good scientist is. That's just what being a good critical thinker is. So you know, even if there was proof, like I, I personally don't even 100% believe in gravity the way we know it as, right? I mean, if somebody came up to me tomorrow and gave me information and said, hey, look, this is how we can alter it or something. Yeah, here's it. a new way of looking at gravity. Why, then why wouldn't you change your mind? Well, that's the that's the, the the second question, which I thought was interesting, is if you had the, that proof and uh, if that God was determined to be the Christian God, uh, would you then worship him? Here, my question to that is definitely no. And the reason is actually because of the, the, the problems that I have with Christian doctrine. The first problem of it being, you know, you know how everyone always perceived Jesus like, oh, Jesus was such a great guy and he was such a good moral teacher and blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, I actually agree with C.S. Lewis uh, on this one where he said that either Jesus was who he said he was or a complete psychopath. And I think the reason is actually because of the concept of hell. Now, the concept of hell for me is probably one of the most vile ideas that we've ever come up with. Now, think about the world and how cruel it is sometimes. You know, when you see an animal suffer or you see another person suffer or all, the, all those kinds of things, you know that eventually, no matter how bad that suffering is, it will one day end. It will be over. They will feel nothing eventually. They will go back to that state that they were before they were born. And the suffering is done. But hell is eternal suffering. It is a place where you go forever to be tortured. And my problem with that is like, first of all, the majority of this planet are not Christians. Guess where they're going, right? They're going to hell. Now, you could say, because here's the, here's the clever little turnaround they have. is like, well, if you weren't aware of Jesus, you're not going to go to hell. So why are you creating awareness of him? Why are you going to other countries and saying, well, you better believe in Jesus? Uh, who's Jesus? Well, he's this guy that if you don't believe in now, you will burn an attorney for hell. I'm like, how is this guy good? This is not a friendly dude. Okay, so I have a huge problem with that. And I'd probably end up in hell anyways because I've done some things that are probably unforgivable. Uh, and the company is just going to be so much finer. Sure, we're going to be in an attorney of hell, but I wouldn't want to be in heaven knowing that my loved ones or other brilliant and amazing people are forever burning in eternal torture. I would say that even the worst mass murderers, the worst criminals, do not deserve an eternity of torture. Maybe I don't know. Maybe a million years of torture is enough. I don't even like to think about that number because it's awful. This is a terrible thing to think about. How how long should monsters suffer, right? You, you want to determine that number? I can tell you right now that eternity is not the number that I agree with. And any God that would actually require me to worship him to avoid this place is not worthy I think, of me worshiping. I think all atheists should get together and try and convince Christians to like have hell sign the Geneva Convention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no <laughs> like, torture. Look, seriously, okay, even we don't do this to people who kill and, and rape. and We don't even do this on Earth. So well, we, we couldn't. Eternity is just way too long. Maybe yeah. we can torture them for like 180 days until they die or something like that. But even that ends. And that's just 180 days. Eternity is a lot longer than 180 days. I think I think that's a clever idea, though. Just you know, try yeah. and petition the church and say, look, you need to sign the Geneva Convention because hell, the tor the torture in hell is completely ridiculous. It's a nasty place. Yes, and uh, <laughs> you know, it vi it violates human rights. So. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next question. John says, about fucking time, cold turkey is a cruel mistress. I think he's referring to the fact that we were going back to the 
podcast because you know now my my term for the podcast is I call everybody crackheads. <laughs> you're you're ne- if, officially if you're listening to this and you had withdrawal, you were a crackhead for the show. But that's all good because I'll keep giving you the crack. <laughs> Well, you just set up expectations for people. You're like, hey, let me into your life as part of your normal routine. And then every once in a while, I'll just fuck up and leave you by every yourself. Every once in a while. Can the man not take two weeks off and just say, no. I just need some time for myself? No, you should have had stuff in the can. You know, the problem is there's lots of commuters right now who are probably taking more time to get to their workplaces because, you know, in wintertime, it's just so much slower. <laughs> and they're like, Jacob, why have you forsaken me? Where are you when I need you? Hey, what have we learned? It's not winter everywhere. Oh, that's true. Okay, his question is... My question is pretty boring, but here it goes. With Jacob going to Nomad, is anything going to change as far as the schedule for the podcast? Also, is it going to affect the A Winner Is Me podcast? Now, some of you may remember that me and Jeff uh, yeah. were working on another podcast called A Winner Is Me. I have questions about that myself. And, you know, the, the, the problem with A Winner Is Me is it's not really my, uh, my podcast. It's Jeff's podcast. And, and I'll, I know that there are probably plenty of people who have listened to this podcast who themselves tried to start their own. And you know how hard it is to keep that thing consistent and to stay motivated. And even with Jeff, it's a little bit hard. But I'm happy to report that Jeff seems to be kind of doing a lot better. Maybe with me away... Jeff will actually kind of want feel more motivated and we can start back the Winner Is Me podcast because trust me, I never get tired of talking and I'm a huge video game nerd. I have lots of things to say about video games. I love the podcast. I was having a lot of fun with it. I definitely want to redo it. And you know what? If if you if you are a fan of also that podcast, if you listen to a few of them and you're like, I kinda like this, then I want you to email Jeff. Okay, email him at artyadams at gmail.com. Tell him, Jeff, we want you to do a Winner Is Me podcast. Stop fucking dicking around and <laughs> give us some more crack because we love it and we love you. And there are lots of people out there who listen to the show who actually love Jeff more than they love me. So please, let um, him I'm know I'm one that. of those people for sure. Um, and then go on to your other email and do it again. I, that's what I think. I think everybody should send him two emails and just harass him. But don't make him feel bad because he's a very sensitive young he's a, man. He's a sensitive young man. Yeah, just, so. just be encouraging. Don't say anything mean. As, a, as far as the schedule, like I said at the beginning of the show, nothing is going to change. In fact, I'm actually going to, going to try to be more on time. Um, uh, with with Because the, the, the whole thing is usually when I release stuff on Tuesday, it's like Tuesday at midnight, right? So, oh yeah, technically I'm still Tuesday. But it's bullshit. So I'm going to try to make it like Tuesday during the day, like a normal podcast. And uh, I'm going to try to stick... With that a little bit more. I mean, part of my reason for traveling was like I had a rule for myself. I need to be more disciplined because you can't make this work if you're not, you know, I can't make this work if I'm not going to be disciplined and if I don't do a better job. I got to do better. This shit's got to improve, everybody. Uh, It's got to get better or else I'm fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Mike asks, uh, well, it's a fairly long thing. Do you want me to read the whole thing? Yeah, Yeah, read the whole thing. says, it strikes me that perhaps religious people... Uh, but definitely religious institutions are a bit like the villains in some kind of nasty sci-fi movie or comic book. (laughs) (laughs) All the way through, you see the wanton destruction and terrible suffering they have caused, only to learn at the end that they all wanted to uh, to do was make the world a better place, and that unfortunately their super-duper special plans to achieve this uh, necessitate some sacrifice, and that surely the ends justify the means. So I guess my question from all this is, how can we effectively engage with religious people who genuinely believe that they and the churches they belong to are doing great things and help them see the, the, the true cost of their blind faith, especially as many of us, atheists, rationalists, humanists, etc., uh, as being the real, uh, especially since they see us as being the real villains? 
How do you tell someone honestly fighting the good fight that they are, in fact, doing real harm and little, if any, good? Well, I, you know, it's interesting. I had a conversation about that just yesterday uh, with someone who was vacationing, and uh, they were asking me, well, if religion really does good for someone, why do you stand for it? And I, I know that's not necessarily the same answer, but it will. you'll see how I, it goes into it. Because my answer was essentially saying, well, even if something does good to a person, it doesn't mean that that thing is itself good, right? Uh, let me give you an example. Let's say that I'm a very stressed individual, right? I have lots of stress and, and I find it difficult to relax and so I take heroin. And heroin <laughs> allows me to sort of like calm down, it gives me lots of pleasure and uh, I find that it helps me with my life. It doesn't necessarily mean that what I'm doing is actually really good for me or good for my future or good for everyone around me. You know, there's lots of things that we call externalities, you know, in, in, in economics. When a, when, uh, when a company has, let's say, you produce chips, right, and you'll have the, the externalities might be the fucking steam from your factory, the garbage you produce. These are all things that they weren't intended consequences, but they were consequences nevertheless. Religion is kind of the same thing, right? It can have parts that are good, but it has all of these externalities that people cannot ignore. Uh, let's take a good and, and, and probably the easiest example. Let's take the Catholic Church and their stance against condom use. As far as they, concern, they are concerned, this is a moral issue for them. Now, I'm not going to go into the why this is a moral issue, because it's actually a really dumb reason, right? It's based on two reasons, the Onan, you know, jizzing outside of his uh, <laughs> brother's widow and then getting killed by God, and the passage that says, be fruitful and multiply. These two things have convinced them that condom use is against God's plan, and while they may be trying to do something good because they believe, well, God has a plan for all of us and he wants us to be fruitful and he wants us to enjoy large families or whatever their kind of motivation that tells them what they're doing is good, the results of that are awful and they're easily visible. You can see them everywhere in Africa. Countries like Kenya or Ethiopia just decimated, decimated by like AIDS. And it's not just fucking because people are dying. It's because uh, of AIDS. It's because there's, there's no farmers to plow fields because they're all in hospital beds or dying. There's orphans that are just starving to death because no one can take care of them or the people that do are family members that fucking hate their guts and <laughs> mistreat them. Uh, so there's, there's, there's all of this devastation that is occurring because of the way that the institutions themselves work. You could go to an individual, an individual Catholic, and you, you can't exactly accuse this guy saying like, oh, you're the reason why everyone is you know, dying of AIDS in Africa. That wouldn't be fair, right? But you, you, at the same time, like, we have to examine our externalities the same way that we, we, we try to examine our impact on the environment with the things that we buy. We're not very good at doing this. We know this already. Well, let's break this down to the way that we're supposed to behave in relationships. So, um, I mean, or, or my, my perspective is from art school. When somebody makes a piece of art, you don't say, you're shit. You say, this piece of art is shit. And because people are not necessarily their actions. So the one thing we have to keep in mind is that part of the reason why the church is doing so much good is because people are good. There are individuals in the faith that are doing good things because they're just good freaking people. The problem is, is that when you create a system where it's based on a weird book written by weird people a billion years ago and you can't question it, you can't, well, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's written for another time. Um, it's been weirdly edited to, to 
you know, basically benefit certain people over the years. You can't question it. When you close down discussion, you have a bad system. So you have good people filtering goodwill through a bad system. That's the problem. So the way you can deal with it is if it's hard to deal with it on an individual level because the person you're talking to is very likely a very good person. You just have to let them know that you don't agree with the system through which they're filtering their decisions. And, and really kind of, uh, you know, not to, not to bring up Sam Harris too much uh, during this podcast, but he, he, his idea was that essentially the problem with moderates is that they create the support system for fundamentalists because they essentially kind of believe in the same thing except for fundamentalists are, well, I call them originalists because they, they, they take a much more literal approach to their religion. They're the old school people. They're the ones that if they travel back in time to like the third century, they feel right fucking at home. Right? <laughs> so you could go and say like, oh, well, um, uh, you know, my answer to these people saying that your beliefs, even in an, un, even in an uh, unconscious or, or indirect way, provide support for these kinds of institutions to do things that are terrible. Think about how much power we, we tend to give to institutions and how fearful we are of, of the power that we give them. Uh, we obviously understand that the, the scariest thing for us, at least uh, you know, in this time of our lives, is how much power we say we give to governments. And we like to think, well, I, I'm going to be idealistic here and say that at least to some degree governments are accountable. But religious institutions are accountable to no one. They, they are accountable only to their interpretation of a text which itself is supposedly unalterable. Okay, well, that's, I mean, that's the geo-Christian faith. But I, I mean, that's very, very... You're being very targeted, but I mean... Uh, well, it's no. not just Judeo-Christian. Uh, like, say, um, let, let's go to Tibet and Buddhism, right? Where you have the Buddhist monks who are essentially kind of like a, uh, a priestly class that has a bunch of slaves under them, and no one questions this institution. Oh, what, totally. what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to go over to the priest and say, why the fuck am I supposed to give you all my tax monies, work for nothing, so you can go in a cave and essentially meditate about how to empty your mind? This is not a good system, but you can't question it. No, I'm just saying it's not, like, it just sounded like you were specifically targeting the, the geo-Christian, or geo, what am I trying to say right now? Judeo-Christian. Judeo-Christian faith. Uh, or Abrahamic religions. Or Abrahamic religions. Right. But I, you know, it's basically everything. And what I like about Mike is that he refers to comic books, and I think that's a great place it to start. Because um, one really interesting thing about comic books, about the relationships between the good characters and the bad characters in comic books, is that I find, or you know, you find the storylines have a lot of explanation as to the perspective of the quote-unquote evildoer, where basically what happens is you have two relatively similar people. One has a certain perspective that turns them into a superhero. One has a different perspective that turns them into a supervillain. And that's a really good way of looking at religion, where, you know, we're all just trying to influence the world. And, you know, in a way, the... The fundamentalists on either side are just idealist people who want the world to be shaped in a, in the perfect way that they see, but they're trying to filter that idea of perfection through either religious teachings or critical thinking. So it's it's going to be hard to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with your religious friends and say what you're doing is wrong. Um, but that's that's where to because <laughs> you, because you're, you're talking try. to you're talking to somebody who has a totally different perspective than you do. You know, you basically have to start from the very beginning and say, look, why do you see it the way you see it? What exactly makes you think that that not having a faith is so terrible? And you have to pull back all the way there. And I don't know if anybody has the patience for that, really. Uh, well, you know, the, the, the comic book uh, part reminded me of this one character 
in the Marvel universe. This is going to be really geeky, and I, I hope I don't bore anybody here. But there's this character called Thanos, okay? And Thanos, his whole purpose in life is he wants to kill half of all the life in the galaxy because he wants to impress uh, basically death, the embodiment of death. He wants to impress her. And as a gift, he wants to essentially annihilate half the life in, in the galaxy because he figures it's overpopulated. Now, who does that sound like in a vague kind of way? My dad? What? No. no. Sounds like Scientology. Oh, okay. <laughs> sounds exactly like Xenu. And I'm like, hey, Thanos and Xenu, and they probably look similar. But mm. you, you'll, fi you'll find in most comic books the parallels or the stories are very similar to most religions. I mean, even in Marvel Universe, they have Thor, who's a, you know, who, who's a religious character. They have... Hercules, religious character. So there are lots of uh, you know religious individuals that have found their way into comic books, and don't be surprised in a couple hundred years, Jesus is a comic book character. Oh man, that'd be so great. Jesus, the comic book character, he doesn't have any interesting powers though. Hercules was strong. Thor had his hammer. What is Jesus gonna do, huh? They'll, they'll you know, they'll, he's like lame, like Aquaman. No, they'll Wonder Woman him. They'll give him like a lasso of truth or something. God, her powers were lame too. Her powers were a little bit lame. Super lame. I have a book and a whip. Yeah, but you got to understand, this is the, the first effort to actually, uh, you know, harness the feminine movement and make a superhero out of her. You no, know, I'm just saying. She's, she's iconic that way. That's why she's make, lame. If they can make Wonder Woman less lame, they can make a superhero out of Jesus. Fine. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Jacob asks, no, it's not me, it's another Jacob. Um, so that you're doing a mailbag Tuesday, so here are my two cents. I have a mate who I uh, really liked and then turned out that he was a hardcore Christian, goes to church every Sunday and all that jazz which uh, I was fine with each of his own, but when we were chatting with one another, and the Christian dude is uh, one who happens to be gay, and the Christian dude is massively, massively homophobic. I, do not really, uh, I am not really sure if I want to be mates with him still, but is there anything I can say to trump his hatefulness? Hmm. Wow. That's a really tough question. You know, it's really, it, it, we're living in a particularly weird time right now. I don't know if you've probably read a lot of stories. I posted one up today about a school in Ontario that essentially outlaw, you know, banned uh, a gay and, and, and straight alliance group. And the, the, the chairperson said that, well, this is not that uncommon. We don't also have Nazi groups. And you hear all kinds of weird, uh, like in Britain, there was this one counselor who refused to treat uh, a gay couple and he got fired. And then all these Christians came forward and saying, we're being discriminated against and this is, this is some kind of homosexual agenda and they're trying to change our way of life and we don't agree with it and we think it's a lifestyle and so on and so forth. We're living in a weird time where Christians have essentially, like hardcore Christians, have found a way to co-opt that narrative and suddenly turn the tables and say, we're the ones that are being discriminated against mm -hmm. for disagreeing with homosexuality. So here's the problem. The, the, the problem you're dealing with is that they will, th this is their new tactic. This is the new conversation. They're going to say, those are my beliefs. They're supported by my faith. And I shouldn't have to accept homosexual behavior, which is what they'll always say. Uh, and you just have to respect that. Otherwise, you're being intolerant. We're in a weird situation where we are intolerant of intolerance. Does that? <laughs> yes, it does make us intolerant. But the thing is, you cannot tolerate all things. I cannot. We we don't tolerate people coming into our houses and murdering our loved ones. We don't tolerate this. We don't even tolerate somebody stealing uh, just even the most basic pieces of shit, crappy Chinese-made fucking toy in your house. Someone will go to jail for that. We don't tolerate everything. We can't live in a world that is infinitely uh, tolerant. 
So you're, you're kind of faced with a bit of that, that problem. And trust me when I say that it's very difficult, it's not sometimes impossible to convince someone who thinks that the spotlight has turned on them, that they're the minority now, and that everyone is against them. This is the new narrative. They have co-opted that narrative, and now we have to figure out a way to yank it back for them and say, no, you guys are bigoted pieces of shit, and you just need to get over yourself. Yeah. The, the truth of the matter is, you know, like I have a problem because my own father is homophobic. I have not been able to convince him that homosexuality is a normal, natural act. I even bet him $1,000 that I could find 10 animals in nature, and which usually shuts him up. But then, it, <laughs> then he just goes around saying, like, oh, well, here's another pointless argument to try to sidestep this issue. And I've, I haven't been able to convince him. And trust me, my dad is a smart, open-minded man. But there are certain things that are just so ingrained, I don't even know if I can go far back far enough to kind of get him to stop thinking that way. So I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I, he, my, my father used to be a, a racist, and he's not anymore because he actually was able to make friends with, uh, in, in particular, best friends with a man who was black, who was his twin, I swear to you. When they met, it was like they fell in love, you know what I mean? Like they were all of a sudden just talking like the same language and they like to carry themselves like they're important men and that kind of stuff. And it was <laughs> hilarious to watch them. And I Is swear to you... Your sister's husband? Uh, my sister's husband's uh, father. Oh, right. And uh, yeah, two men that were identical. And after that, I think that whatever part of him that was left that, was, that you would consider to be um, xenophobic or racist really went away because he, had, he, he, he was able to kind of empathize with a real person. That's usually the only way that a person can actually change their mind. They have to empathize with someone who is uh, the way that they think is sort of like completely immoral or, or wrong. I'm like, if you see it by yourself, you'll understand. You know, I became more sensitive to, to, to gay rights and issues because of Jeff. Um, and, and that kind of opened up my eyes. I don't even make gay jokes anymore. I'm actually kind of annoyed that I used to do that. But it's just because I didn't have that empathy that can only come from experiencing it yourself. That would be my only advice. Now, I don't know how you can do that. <laughs> the other thing to remember is that it's, it's really easy to just shut your down, yourself down to people when, they're, you know, when they act racist or when they act bigoted. But if we just keep doing that, we're just going to create a bigger and bigger rift between the people who have all these prejudices and the people who don't. You mean like when we're not calling people out for their uh, prejudice? Or yeah, their and here's the thing, Jacob, other Jacob on the internet. Um, <laughs> if you enjoy the company of this friend enough to be his friend, then you must respect him. And a, the best sign of respect is to debate something with someone openly and to sit there and listen to their perspective legitimately because you know it's, it's when we know i know this is terrible we know we're right you know we're we just hear it and it sounds like such bullshit you're full of shit and you just want to scream in your friend's face but that's not respectful you have to sit there and understand their perspective and you're not going to be able to make an inch of of movement in his opinion if you don't genuinely seek to understand where he's coming from so my advice would be remember how you respected him you liked him and that's why you're friends start from there and genuinely listen to his side and understand him and then wait to see if he's going to give you the same opportunity to respect you and understand what your perspective is and then you can at least start an open conversation you know what i thought you were going to say i thought you were going to say also that um what we need to do is sometimes you're with a friend and maybe they'll make um, you know a gay joke or a racist joke or whatever. And you know, I, you, you kind of have to call people out on it. And I don't say it in a way that you're going to make them embarrassed. You can just say, dude, I think that's kind of 
racist. I think that's kind of homophobic. Now, obviously, at first, their reaction might be like, oh, no, it's not. I'm just joking around. And, uh, you know, maybe you can say, well, all right, if it's just joking around, you, but, you know, be careful. There, 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 there are some people out there that may not know that you're joking around. It, it maybe didn't seem like a joke. Or you can just say, your comment kind of made me feel uncomfortable. I remember one of the things, this, this is actually kind of a moment of pride. There was this guy where I used to work, and he was always making, like, um, you know, sort of like, uh, gay references. Oh, this guy's a fag or whatever, because that's just the way that he talked, right? And he was a nice guy. He was a very sweet man. Um, and I kind of told him eventually, I said, look, listen, man, I was his boss, so it kind of helped. I was like, look, uh, I, I don't like the way that you, you mentioned this. If there was anybody that was gay that was in the office that overheard you, they would feel uncomfortable. You might even get really in trouble. And I would appreciate if you respect me then I would appreciate that you try to kind of not talk that way around me. If you want to go to your friends and talk like that, that's fine, but don't. And at first, you know, it started slowly, but surely he stopped using it until he didn't use it at all anymore. And when he did, he'd kind of go like, oh, I'm sorry, man. And, you know, I felt fucking proud. It kind of gave, like, the first time that he apologized for using the name fag around me, I kind of felt, like, vindicated. I felt like I was, I had achieved a little victory. I think we can all get those victories. It doesn't take much. It just... We just need to sensitize people a little bit more and say, hey, I don't like when you say that. It hurts my feeling. If they ask you why, you can be honest. I told them why. I said, listen, I have loved ones that are gay. And, it, 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 and every time you say that, I keep thinking about how would they feel if they overheard that. And it would hurt them. But you made a good point. You were his boss. That was a professional scenario. It's really easy as somebody's boss, I mean, to walk into a room and just say, you're being unprofessional. That's a great excuse. We're talking in a social, social situation. Yeah, but I, mean, I was his boss in the way that... You know, I, I, I was, uh, you know, I was uh, his superior, but I was never like, no, oh, still, you need to do this, you need to do that. I was even, even if we wouldn't business. have been, even if we wouldn't have been, uh, even if I wouldn't have been his boss, it would have been easier. But you know what? It, like, it, it doesn't take away from the point of saying you just if you can sensitize people by by leveraging your friendship with them by saying if you respect me then don't talk that way around me. You'll change their habit. Trust me, it will be small steps, but they're all small steps in the right direction. People just need to lose the habit of hateful speech or hateful thought. I totally agree that people need to lose the habit, but I don't necessarily think that an out-and-out -out confrontation is going to be the best way to, to win friends and influence people, you know? Um, personally, I subscribe to the tisk tisk method where, you know, if somebody says something that you don't like, you think is a little bit ridiculous, you kind of just go, ha, ha, And I, I feel like that's almost more powerful because the reason they're making those jokes, realistically, is because they're looking to get a laugh, they're looking to raise their status in the group. And if you don't give them that, they'll stop doing those things. Whereas if you make, if you go out of your way to say, I feel like you're being racist. That's a big claim to make. That's a big step. And they're going to get defensive. Uh, and I find whenever you can just not reward people for bad behavior, it's almost more effective than putting people into a defensive mode. What you went through is a little bit easier because basically you could you could easily pull the professionalism card and say, you know, we're, we're, we're in a business. And people are more likely to listen. Even if you're not totally the superior, even coworkers could go up to each other and, and say, don't say that, we're at, we're at work. But I mean, let's take, for example, something that isn't quite so controversial. Earlier today, or yesterday, I mentioned to you that I hate when people say literally, and it's inappropriate, which right. you do all the time. <laughs> and literally. You've, and you've been super careful about it, right? But when, and, but when I said it, I wasn't talking about you specifically, so it was a little bit... Yes, you did. When I mentioned the fact that I say it, you're like, you're dumb. 
<laughs> you confronted me about it. I don't agree with your whole "oh, I'm just going to laugh it off" thing because I don't think people are necessarily as perceptive as you tell as, as you, as you okay. make them out to be. I say that as long look, if you're going to confront them, don't do it in a way that embarrasses them. Don't exactly. confront them in, a, in in front of a whole bunch of other people. And that's not what I did. It's sort of like you take a person to the uh, to the aside and you say, you know, I, what, what you said there made me uncomfortable, and I don't want to uh, embarrass you. But I, you know, I please refrain from talking like that in front of me. It makes me uncomfortable. I people can still respect that, and I totally and, agree. and sort of like laughing things off. I tried doing that uh, for 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 you know at, at the beginning as well. It really didn't work because it's mm. for for a lot of people, it's just it's ingrained in the way that they speak, in the way that they are. It's just a habit. I don't even think like they 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 do it consciously. Sometimes, and I've seen this all the time too for for some of the young. Um, so some of our younger listeners and stuff like that, uh, a lot of times it's to deal with, uh, especially the homophobia, it's to deal with a lot of the male insecurities that they have with, in regards to one another and that kind of stuff. And you never want to look weak uh, because obviously you're afraid to have kind of an inferior status and what have you. Those, are, those environments I can kind of understand. It might not even be possible, right? The frat boy mentality, the sort of like overly testosterone-fueled mentality, probably even the latent homosexuality that's going on right then and there, difficult to sort of like overcome but i think that you might be surprised that the kind of reactions you get out of people like i know for a fact that the guy that i was working with that i said that he just said it less in general it was amazing like he just he felt like he had um you know like because i gave him sort of like a, a positive reinforcement whenever he would you know say it accidentally and he's like oh sorry and i'm like I appreciate the fact that you even said that you were sorry, that you were aware of that and you did that for me, and I think that that's very nice and that's very sweet. My concern I think that this is possible. just comes from the idea of, of being so serious about it, you know? I mean, who in a, in a social situation wants to embarrass themselves by taking the big mantra guy who keeps saying, no homo, uh, into a special private corner of the bar and having a heart-to-heart -heart with them about how it hurts your feelings? Okay, but I didn't say you do it right away. I'm just being realistic, sweetie. I'm just saying that maybe... Uh, okay... In an ideal world, when everybody got along and and uh, and you had a relationship with all of your friends where you could do that, totally. If your relationship with your friend is such that you know that if you bring something up and say, "Look, I think you're being homophobic," they're not going to get defensive and they're not going to be pissed at you, and it's not going to embarrass you. It's not going to make you feel uncomfortable. But the reality is, I don't think a lot of people have that relationship with their friends, especially in the in the in the kind of scenarios where people are just saying that. I, don't, I find that it's better just to not give them the gratification that they're looking for. I don't think that works. But let's agree to disagree and let's move on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> ben asks, uh, I've been listening to your podcast for a while now and I think it is great. Aww. The only problem is that I have never heard about the personal background of Ryan and you. Uh, besides the fact that you're from Canada, I don't know much about where you came from. Can you guys tell the stories of how you became atheist? Now, unfortunately, Ryan is not on this show. But uh, I can answer that question for Ryan. Ryan has never believed. Okay, Ryan is the kind of person that if he doesn't want to do something, he doesn't do it, including believing in things. <laughs> He's a very pragmatic individual, but we grew up in a place where it was never an issue. Right? I think I mentioned this in a few other shows. My hometown, no one talks about religion, and it's kind of a Canadian thing when you think about it. Religion is not really that talked about uh, in most parts of Canada, maybe where you come from in Calgary. But... Where, where I come from, totally not. It's like politics. Everybody steers away from it. If you are religious or if you're not, it's not mentioned very often. But it's without the pressure, without the strong pressure that you get from religious people to get you to believe, you would be surprised what happens. It's just people tend to not really care. 
And for the most part, for the longest time, I didn't care. You know, I would have described myself as a non-theist for most of my life. I didn't start caring about it until I thought, oh my God, this is what's causing all the problems in the world. <laughs> well, okay, that's not as simple like that. But it was, it was essentially like that epiphany where you're saying, this is a major source of problem. I need to get involved. I want to do something. But before then, it was, just, it was never an issue. It was just, it was a non-thought, right? As far as I was concerned, there were other things that I was interested in. Uh, trying to get laid, trying to find a job, uh, trying to find some kind of purpose and direction in life. Who knew that going for atheism would do all three? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hello. Uh, also, uh, and also, what are the events that caused you to become an activist with the atheist uh, netherworld? Well, like I mentioned before, when I read Sam Harris's book, uh, The End of Faith, which I saw when I watched the documentary, The God Who Wasn't There, which was, as far as I understand, kind of like an internet marketing phenomenon, really. Uh, you ever watched The God Who Wasn't There? They made us watch it in uh, psychology class, actually. It's, it, what was great about this, um, this documentary is Brian Fleming essentially did this all online. This is sort of, sort of like, I, I don't know what year he recorded, but it was pretty early on. I think it's like 2004 or 2005. Um, but he, he basically put his thing out on the internet. He gave a bunch of it for free and then essentially sort of sold bonus materials of his, uh, of his documentary and... and, and did quite well for himself. His documentary, when I watched it, um, it did two things. Number one, it was of a production value to the, uh, you know, uh, that I felt I could do just as good, if not better. Not to diss him, because I thought it was still a fine thing, but you know, you always tell yourself, when you see somebody do something and be successful at it, and you're like, I think I can do this, then uh, that kind of changed my mind. But also, he had sections where he interviewed a lot of people, and Sam Harris was one of them. And when I listened to Sam talk, I was like, he's making so much sense. And when I saw his book, I'm like, I must read this book. So I went the next day on Amazon.com, bought the book, and it came over, and I fucking read it in, I don't even know, I think it was like three days. I did not stop reading it. And after that, I'm like, okay, I want to do it. I want to start something. And before I did that, let me tell you something. I had never completed a project in my life. I, had <laughs> I tried, believe that. Yeah, totally. I had tried a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff. <laughs> well, anybody who knows that I've been trying to write a book for three years knows that uh, I'm kind of like that in general. But this was, the, this was the only thing that I actually found that I was passionate enough and I felt at least skilled enough to do it. You know, I was like, I can do this. I can talk about religion. I have opinions. I'm an opinionated fucker. So I think I can do this, and, and uh, ever since then I haven't regretted it. So th that's essentially the, the, the crux of the history of my, uh, my, my, my foray into the netherworld, as, as, so, as he so says. So in synopsis, uh, both of you didn't give a shit, and then he gave a shit. And then we started giving a shit. Well, Ryan <laughs> only started giving a shit because I forced him onto the, to do the podcast, because he was doing his own thing. He, he has a site called fightlinker.com. And it's, a, it's about mixed martial arts. And he needed someone to help him do his podcast. And I needed someone to help me. So we kind of traded. I had to learn about mixed martial arts and ended up loving it. And he had to help me on atheism and ended up really getting involved. So, hey, if you, if you, if sometimes just helping a friend out on a project, you may find, find yourself kind of like completely and utterly sucked into that world. And uh, you know what? For, for some of you out there, let yourself get sucked into that world. It's fucking awesome. Okay, let's move on. Diana asks, uh, if, uh, if you guys are familiar with uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali, what are your thoughts on her movie Submission and her Infidel novel? Did you actually read Infidel? No. Nope. Oh, my God. I read, when I read Infidel, um, which I, I really recommend, because basically if you've never read her, her novel, it's essentially her life 
as uh, a Muslim woman living in uh, Somalia and, and moving around because she lived in Kenya and then she lived in Saudi Arabia and she just talks about what it's like to be a young Muslim girl. And some of the, some of the tales, some of the stories about there are, I mean, you have to read it to be able to really empathize with the situation, to know what it's like. The, the, the most difficult chapter that you read is when she gets in, in, in fabulated or a female circumcision. And she Ooh. goes on to precise detail about it. And uh, I had never really, I mean, I, I, I knew what it looked like. You, you know, sometimes you see the odd video and before you turn away and you fucking cover your eyes. You ever. Fetishes? No, it's just videos that you see. I, they were just watching them. They were just, I just typed it in and then it came up in Google. What? I hey, didn't mean hey. for it to show up. What do I do for a living? Huh? What do I do for a fucking living? Yeah, that's right. This is what I do. Okay, okay. Sorry, I got you and Ryan mixed up. I forgot that he's the one who's like, just looks He's cool. casual. He's blah. He, he, he doesn't have to watch Infabulations, but I do. No, but I remember when you guys were talking about how Ryan just like looks for weird shit on a whim for no reason. Oh yeah, like well, weird porn. <laughs> he just he just loves the wacky side of the internet. I, I totally to, get I try that. To, I, I stay away because there's some scary things out there that you just don't want to see. Oh, I totally get that. Um, so yeah, like that chapter itself alone is worth the the, the price of the book. You you should read it. And and the other thing too is I find that her story like it's 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 brutally honest because she talks about getting um, asylum in uh, in the Netherlands and feeling guilty about it because she had to lie to get asylum. You know she was trying to get away from her family uh, who had tried to get her uh, into an arranged marriage and her controlling and abusive mother and her crazy grandmother and and just just the entire culture that's that 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 is centered in, in uh, around this religion and you realize you realize really what the dangers are there's no there are few people as knowledgeable when it comes to the subject of the the, the evils and the wrongs of Islam than her this is why uh, i find like you know I, I forgot to mention her as the kind of atheist book so you should read you should read infidel Seriously, honestly, read it. And, and also what's interesting is that she used to really believe too. So this is kind of a story like the um, Letting Go of God by Julia Sweeney where oh, it's a, it is a process. So good. And that process itself I think is helpful for you to realize how you came to not believe. Because for some people out there who don't believe, they don't know why necessarily, but they're just like, I don't fucking buy it. If you can hear it from somebody else, somebody else, if you can empathize with that situation, I think you could just, it just becomes so much fucking clearer. So, loved the novel. The movie was kind of dull, actually. Oh, but at wow. The, it's, it's kind of, a, it's a relatively old movie, and, and it, it looked kind of shitty, and I didn't really like the, I didn't like it. I, but it was very controversial, which uh, I like, just in general, because I love controversy. But uh, it, it wasn't a great piece of, Filmmaking, as far as I'm concerned, but you know me, I'm like a movie junkie. I don't know. I just felt cheap. You know, oh, just production just, value. Production or? value is oh, awful. Just hard to and uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, but I, you have to look at it for what it was at the time, right? It's still relatively early on when people were talking about like the evils of religion and, in particular, uh, you know, uh, Islam and that kind of stuff. So it's a very, it's an important movie to watch if you want to kind of understand uh, Ayan's history and and and. And all of that jazz, but the book is way better. <laughs> <laughs> My recommendation would be don't read Infidel and Under the Banner of Heaven in the same month. Uh, You'll be distraught. <laughs> you'll start doing dangerous things. <laughs> Remember that whole crazy thing? No crazy atheists. Don't read that. No, don't, don't become crazy. <laughs> okay, rate and ask. Hey, guys, 
you know how religious people like to say stuff that, well, is stupid? Just wanted to know what <laughs> is your most favorite logical fallacies that religious people say. My favorite one or the one that sort of like drives me nuts? Because maybe those are the two of the same things, you know? At least which ones are the ones that inspire you the most? For me, you know what it is? It's when people tell me that I have to disprove their God. I'm fucking so sick and tired of that. When someone's like, oh, well, you can't disprove God. In what world do I have to disprove something in order uh, for, your, for, for you for you to no longer believe in it. It's like, I don't want to go around disproving every idiotic idea that's ever come or, 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 or been thought of. I don't want to disprove fairies. I don't want to disprove <laughs> leprechauns. I don't want to disprove Thor. I don't want to disprove all the things that most religious people have already dismissed as being wrong, except for the one thing where they're like, but this is different, and I believe it despite anything, and uh, you can't convince me because you can't disprove it. I mean, they're right. I can't disprove this nebulous concept of their God. But I'm so sick and tired of having to be forced, or even of people thinking that it's really up to me. That it's up to me to fucking convince of everybody that their fantasy land, bearded sky god, doesn't exist. I'm sick of it. I fucking hate it. But, I mean, it's never going to stop. The burden of proof? The burden of proof is not on us. You know, when you make an extraordinary claim, it needs extraordinary evidence. I wish that was the end of the conversation. It really should be. There's no other reason. Like, it should end there. If a person says, I believe in God, I'm like, fucking prove it. Prove it now. Well, I don't have any proof. It's faith. Oh, guess what? It's no good. Now I have to disprove your faith? Disprove you're impossible to disprove God? I think we should just start responding with other completely illogical things. It's like, you know, you, you disprove my God. Okay, we'll disprove that all the lights in the skies are tiny fireflies that all convene at night. Disprove that all of the dolls in your ch child's bedroom come alive when you leave. Disprove it! You first! <laughs> you know? It just... They're like Toy Story. Exactly. Disprove that Toy Story is not uh, a, fic uh, a story of fiction. Yeah. My favorite is the uh, is the uh, my holy text proves that God exists. The holy text that God wrote. It's like the circular what? Uh, what? Yeah, argument of so saying what? Yeah. Then where did the what? Ow! I I just love that people are so happy to just say that over and over again. God wrote the Bible. The Bible proves God. But what? It's like how do you know that the Bible is true? Because God said so. Yeah, God <laughs> said so. That's exactly how I He know. said so in the Bible. He said <laughs> that like, he what? existed in the Bible. He said that. But who, what? He proved his own existence. <laughs> no, no. Okay, next question from Chris. I know this has nothing to do uh, with being, uh, I think it means being godless, but um, what do you guys <laughs> think of the Canadian immigration system? Can anyone really get in, and how does it compare to the U.S.? Thanks. Uh, Chris, if you're trying to get into Canada, uh, you do realize that it's fucking cold over there, right? Like, I don't know if you also live in a place that's really freezing cold, but Canada's freezing. Um, just, it's just really cold. I've, I've tried to escape this. This is why I live away from there now. Because it's so cold! I have to, I have to just go away for, for, for a while. But in terms of immigration, you know what I love? This is totally off topic, but here's something that I love. It used to be that there was like this weird uh, loophole that used to allow a whole bunch of strippers in from other countries. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't even know where it came from, but there, there was a time in Canada where if you were a stripper from any other country, you could just come on right in. If you were hot, they uh, let you in. Well, you know what? Canada's got a crazy open-door policy. Because this summer when I was traveling, um, I was trying to figure out you know, a way to get dual citizenship for Canada, Canada and the States, what the easiest way to, would be. And uh, there, there is no easy way. <laughs> 
but in in the struggle i also looked up the canadian regulations and oh my god i mean if if it's something like if you've been dating someone and you've met them you've been dating someone online from canada but you're not married but you guys are planning on getting a house together you can come live in canada that's fine that's fine same sex, no problem, whatever. You don't have to be married. You don't even have to live in the same, like, you don't, you don't, as long as you met once, that's okay. The, the, the regulations are so open. You know, I would just do it, um, find somebody online, start, start getting like a little bit of a fetish for Canadians if you want to get in so that it's legitimate because nobody, you know, wants to be a felon. So find a relationship with somebody in the country you want to go to and then uh, and then just come on over. <laughs> I think that it's actually going to become easier because the economies of countries like Canada and even the US are dependent on immigration. Now it's the problem is sometimes you have governments that come in and they're like, "We don't want immigration," which is really meaning that we don't want different colored people coming into the fucking country. But eventually if they're smart enough they realize that our birth rate is is way too fucking low. And we need we need the skills uh, that other people can offer. So I, it it, it kind of ebbs and flows, right? Depending on how open door, uh, you know, how open the door is. I think that generally speaking, if you if you at least have a, a fairly decent education, it's not altogether that hard. But I'm not an expert when it comes to immigration. It, it's it's insanely easy. It's insanely insanely easy to just move to Canada. Okay. <laughs> next question is. Uh, Heretics Anonymous asks, well, he doesn't even ask. He says, can you talk about how fucking stupid Bill, the tides come out, the tides come in, O'Reilly is, please? I find it hard to see any hope for humanity when people like him exist. Here's the thing Oof. about Bill O'Reilly, okay? He's not as stupid as you think. He's an opportunist, okay? Bill O'Reilly is just, he's, he, he takes advantage of the situation. But here's the crazy thing, crazy thing about Bill O'Reilly is that he's less hardcore than most of the people on Fox News. Now, he may not have things that you agree with all the time, but he's the guy with the biggest sense of humor. Like, he will actually appear on shows that don't believe in what he says and just fuck around with them. Maybe it's because he's got a huge ego. I don't know. But I have, I, I, I have this sneaking suspicion that Bill O'Reilly doesn't believe in half the shit he says. He never really sounds genuine when he says it anyways, you know? Like, do you ever see him on Inside Edition? He used to be, like, doing that whole fucking bullshit, uh, you know, Hollywood mag kind of nonsense stuff. He's just, he's, he's your classic media type, right? He's, he's, he found a niche. He's making a lot of money with it. Uh, so why, why the fuck would he change? Now, Glenn Beck, on the other hand, is a completely different story. He really is stupid. <laughs> um, and, I, and I deeply hate him. But Bill O'Reilly... I find is a mouthpiece and a jackass, but really he's a mouthpiece for things that people believe in anyways. He's not saying anything that's new. He's not saying anything that half of your fucking country doesn't already believe. If you hate Bill O'Reilly, then you probably hate a shitload of your neighbors. That's the honest truth, so you gotta deal with that. It's really it's just all entertainment, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> We're, we're kind of like that ourselves. You could say that I'm the Bill O'Reilly of atheism. Ooh. I feel dirty saying that. But it's better than saying I'm the Glenn Beck of atheism. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Brennan asks, I think this is our last question, are you familiar with a resource that conveys a complete knowledge of the Bible, essentially breaking down sections while illustrating contradictions and fallacies within that text? Uh, yes, if you do a search for Skeptic's Annotated Bible, it is a fantastic resource that you can just check out. Every single book of the Bible is there. There's a sidebar that tells you which parts are co contradiction, fallacies, which parts are uh, misogynistic, whatever. You can even search 
according to those criteria. So if you want to find every single misogynistic part of the Bible, there is a, a place where you can do that. So if you, the, the Skeptics Annotated Bible is, a, is an online resource that allows you to do that. It also has the Quran and the Book of Mormon. So just do a search for that. It is fantastic. If you're, if you're ever wondering if you could cherry pick a couple fucking great quotes, that's where you go. Now keep in mind, however, that make sure that you are dealing with the same Bible of the people that you're debating. Because there's mm. not just one. And if you are quoting from the King James Bible to, say, Jehovah Witnesses, you're not going uh, to be able to jab them because some translations take away from parts of the Bible that are more ludicrous. Like let's say the King James Bible has... The earth rests on pillars. I forget in which part. I think it's actually in Genesis, but I'm, don't quote me on that. Uh, in the New World Translation, which is what the uh, Jehovah Witnesses use, it just says that it floats, that it's suspended. So when I tried to use that in a debate, they're like, oh, you've never read the Bible. And then they sort of they went over, and it didn't matter. I couldn't essentially debate with them saying, well, there's a whole bunch of different Bibles or whatever. As far as they were concerned, I didn't know their Bible, and therefore I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. So be very fucking cautious. Ask someone before you debate them what Bible they're, uh, you know, they use. And if you really, I mean, if you're hardcore, you could go and you could try to memorize all the different translations. Uh, I don't recommend you do that. Try, try to go and have a life. Let... Let other people do that. Uh, but yeah, the Skeptics Annotated Bible is a fantastic fucking uh, resource. There's a couple others, but I found like typically if I need some information or I, I'm, I'm looking for some quotes, they have a good search feature. I just go there and bam, they do half my work for me. And trust me, I'm, I'm like, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. There are people out there that have dissected the Bible. Ironically enough, you know who those people were? Fucking Jesuits in the Middle Ages. They dissected the Bible themselves. They took it. It's called higher reasoning, okay? They... Back in the Middle Ages, they decided, oh, let's break the Bible apart to see if there's contradictions, because I'm sure that eventually the Bible will survive that scrutiny. They were very disappointed. <laughs> the best fucking arguments against religious people come from religious people that were trying to have some degree of intellectual uh, you know, congruency. And it turns out you can't. The Bible just cannot give you this. Intellectual integrity will win at the end of the day. This is why you can't believe in books of fairy tale. And ironically enough, the pursuit of that has destroyed uh, the Bible. It's just that it turns out that nobody really does any research on higher reasoning because it will turn you into an, into an atheist. Ask any preacher. <laughs> it's the best way to fucking become an atheist. Become a preacher. That's okay, we're done. I don't know. How long is the show so far? It's like over an hour? Uh, an hour and a half. Okay, well, after the editing and blah, 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 maybe it'll be a little bit shorter. Uh, hope, hopefully everybody liked the longer show. I'm sure that no one's going to complain seeing as how it's been a couple weeks. So yeah. worst case scenario, we can divide that shit into Just a couple parts. Just think he gave you an extra scoop of icing of ice cream right on the top. You don't really have to listen to the whole podcast anyway. You get That's sick true. of it? That's Just true. turn it off. After half an hour, who cares? I, I, I make or don't make as much money if you listen to five seconds or if you listen to the you know, all hour. You know what I like at the very end? I'm like, you don't have to listen to the whole thing, whereas if you got to this point, you probably did. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you just want to make them know that they didn't have to, but we right. appreciate the fact that they did. And speaking of appreciate, if you appreciate the show and you want to hear more, then become a member. It costs $20 a year to become a regular member. You get access to our um, roster of old shows, and you get for an entire year a sh an extra show a week. Yes, we are still doing two shows a week. Nothing has changed since I'm, uh, since I'm traveling. What an amazing deal. I hardly even believe it. It is unbelievable. It is quite unbelievable. <laughs> $20 unbelievable. for all of that. That is a lot of hours of listening to me talk. If that is worth something to you, then please... 
we will accept your and patronage. if you order right now, Jacob will be extra angry for the whole next week I about may, all religions. I may have even a whole bunch of much more vitriolic rant. I was, I was getting a whole bunch of messages from Facebook being like, I need a good rant. So, uh, I think, uh, the next show you and I were, this one was supposed to be about, um, uh, superstition, superstition. Yeah. I think that'll be a good rant show. I think we should do a superstition show right in and, uh, share your crazy superstition stories. Well, here was, here's what's cool. The reason we're doing a show, uh, next week, bonus show, uh, not next week, but, uh, on Thursday for superstition is it's actually a, uh, patron who's like, can you do a show about superstition? And I can't say no to patrons. So <laughs> yes. I'm going to make a show about it, and uh, probably since most of you are kind of in, uh, let's say, withdrawal, I will probably make that show a, uh, available to people who sign up for the freebies. The freebie is if you don't want to pay for the show, but you sometimes want to get a few of them, I, I'm, 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 I'm cool enough that once in a while I will fucking give you it, but all you have to do is you go to the site, sign up for it, become a member, it doesn't cost you anything. And I will use this to entice you to eventually become a member. I'm using you. Stop letting them in on the plan, Jacob. No, no. It works when you let them know. They think that they, they're, they're not being tricked, but they are. That's the cool thing about it. They're like, I have total control. But no, you'll listen to the show, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, only one extra one a month is not enough. You know that's how it's going to be. And then you're going to break down. You're, like you're, you're giving up the game. You're giving up the game. You don't think you can play without giving up the game? Huh? No. What if a pitcher was like, I'm going to throw you a fastball, and my fastball is so fast, you're never even going to fucking hit it? Huh? That's what I'm doing. I got a crazy atheist fastball coming at you, and uh, you're going to swing, and uh, I'm going to be $20 richer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we'll catch everybody at the Thursday show. My name is Jacob Fortan. I'm Gertha Hendricks. Have a good atheist day, everybody.